0: On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC
1: on News Talk. Much like last week, there is a common thread across a lot of the front pages of today's Sunday newspapers. There is one story, or one newspaper rather, which leads with a story which is totally separate um, to the energy crisis, both in terms of cost but also supply. So I'm going to start with that one first which is the Sunday Times, uh, a new, uh, it's exclusive this morning by uh, Aoife Moore, the political correspondent there. Uh, the headline reads, Cervical Check Chief, Litigants Just Want Cash. And the story goes that the head of Cervical Check said that some women claiming through the tribunal on the service's failures, know, quote, in their heart and soul that they haven't been wronged, but that they're using the process as they, quote, might get some money. Noreen Russell, who is the clinical director at the National Cervical Screening Programme, made the comments during a 2020 video call with Pader Tabin, the Meath TD, after he requested a meeting with her due to concerns that he had about the redress screen. Uh, A staff member from Tabin's office and staff from Russell's office were also present on this video call. At the weekend, Russell said that she now accepted that the comments were careless and hurtful and she said that she'd written to 221+, which is the Cervical Check Patient Support Group, to apologise to women affected by the scandal and offering to meet them. A transcript of the 2020 call, which uh, Aoife Moore has obviously obtained for this article, shows that Russell also said that she felt the courts, which had awarded substantial damages to women whose cancer went untreated after slides were misread by the botched programme, were wrong to do so. Now the uh, piece goes on to, to quote extensively from some of the comments that Noreen Russell made in the course of this video call with Paddard Um She says in the course of that that she noted many of the women involved had young families and she said, quote, This is why a lot of those cases are settled on the steps, as in settled on the steps of the court or settled just before they're due to be heard in court. The insurance companies know that this is a very emotional situation and they don't want to get into that situation in court because they are worried the only way this is going to play out is that they are going to be found negligent, she said during the video call. The only people winning are the lawyers. There are some lawyers making huge amounts of money out of these cases. And Russell said that some women were being told that if someone did their job right, you would not have cancer and for the vast majority of women, that is not the situation. Uh, which obviously is uh, seems to be a, a fairly tone-deaf rendition of, of an attitude for somebody who was responsible for that whole programme and indeed for the, the programme uh, in general uh, Russell said responding to questions this weekend to the Sunday Times now two years later reflecting on some of my comments in that private meeting and with the knowledge and personal experience that I've gained in my role as clinical director over the time I fully accept that they were careless and hurtful to women I'm sorry for the impression that the remarks give because they do not reflect my view uh, she says I'm, going to show, I'm sure we're going to be talking about that a little bit more uh, in the hour but I just wanted to, to deal with that one first because from there on it is pretty much wall-to-wall energy crisis energy supply energy costs everything else from here on in Sunday Independent uh, State of the Nation huge concern over rising energy bills they've commissioned a new Ireland Thinks opinion poll which reveals that 37% of respondents say they simply won't be able to pay soaring energy costs this winter and another 39% of people say that they will have to cut back on other costs to affect their increased bill only 7% say that they have no concerns about <coughs> higher energy costs. 15% say that they will be able to, to meet those extra costs, albeit at a push. In another finding, 40% of those polled say that they worry about their current or financial posi- current or future financial position. Another 10% admit that it keeps them up at night. And again, only 7% say... They're not worried about their finances. Budget 2023 is now only three weeks away. 50% of the respondents in the poll said the government should prioritise credit for household energy bills and utilities, which are up 17% since July. Sorry, that's 17% of respondents uh, up 17% since July. Uh, And an indication that last week's substantial energy price hikes have caused widespread alarm asked if they were struggling to pay their bills currently. 48% of people said yes. 48% of people who already admit to struggling to pay those bills and we know they're only going to continue to go one way. Uh, by the by, the Cindo also says in its sidebar uh, front page story today, the government is set to focus on a raft of one off spending measures in the budget to combat the worsening cost of living crisis. In addition to one billion already earmarked for tax and welfare changes, it now has one point five billion euro to commit to address the additional um, issues with energy and utilities bills. As with the pandemic, small businesses are now going to benefit from new direct subventions to protect employment, uh, which it uh, sounds all good and maybe it's, it's good that there's some optimism about what the budget, ca- the government can do in the budget, but then you go to the front page of the mail on Sunday which tells us of a shock dossier warning of a 6 billion euro hit to the public finances which apparently is going to be cited by Pascal Donoghue to push back against some calls to unveil a larger cost of living package. But Pascal Donoghue is going to present this memo warning that unsustainable corporate tax revenue poses a major risk to the public finances uh, to the cabinet this week. This all follows, as you may have heard if you're uh, following the news, Exchequer figures on Friday which showed a 6.3 billion euro surplus for the government so far this year, 3.8 billion euro more tax revenues than the government has planned. But Pascal Donoghue is citing in this report which says that we are too reliant on corporate tax revenues which have ballooned in recent years and quite frankly the government says it doesn't know whether it can rely on those revenues in future so it doesn't necessarily feel like it can build them into the new budgetary arithmetic and therefore it can't spend quite as much as you might imagine when you see those headline figures uh, in the exchequer returns every friday and finally for now, the uh, Business Post exclusive, uh, this is something which I imagine a lot of people will be quite interested in, uh, exclusive EU plans to tackle the energy crisis being revealed. Uh, you might know there is a meeting of EU energy ministers uh, this coming Friday where uh, the 27 member states will discuss with the European Commission what exactly they can do to try and cut energy bills. Uh, we learned today uh, that in proposals that were circulated to the EU's uh, member states, the EU is planning to impose a price cap on lower cost energy producers and it will ask member states to implement compensation schemes encouraging industrial users and households to reduce their consumption. Uh, As it says, they've been circulated uh, to governments ahead of this meeting of energy ministers on Friday. Eamon Ryan tells the Business Post this weekend that new supports for small and medium-sized businesses will have to be devised uh, because of the scale of the price increases on the way. He says, I think we will have to look at those supports because what is coming is beyond compare. I think this is bigger than the oil crisis in the 1970s because if you look at the projected impact on the EU-wide economy, it is actually more likely to have a more significant economic impact. And anyone who is old enough to remember the impact of the oil crisis of the 1970s will no doubt shiver a little bit at that if what we're facing into now is worse than some of the trauma that people faced um, at the time. That is your tour of the front pages of this morning's newspapers. Join the studio to go through those stories and more by Breda Brown, who's PR Director of Unique Media, and by Lauren Boland, a reporter with the and um, Good morning to you both. Lauren, um, I'll start with yourself, because I know you often specialise on climate issues, uh, and of course energy is fundamentally tied up in that, uh, in reporting for the and um, There's a lot written there. i imagine you, you probably were looking quite intently at the, the business post splash with some guidance as to what exactly the EU might have up its sleeve for that meeting this week.
2: It's a really interesting look at that uh, that plan by the Business Post. Um, I think one thing that stuck out to me was that um, that measure would actually supersede this idea of the windfall tax that we've been looking at here. So instead of a windfall tax, uh, Member States would instead be asked to sign up to this um this plan of putting that price gap, um, which okay. is just interesting in the sense that we've been, you know, there's been a lot of talk here about what would the merits or the disadvantages of that kind of windfall tax be? And actually, possibly after the meeting that next week, that might not be an issue any anymore at all because we might be looking at something different. Okay. Um, similar kind of effect that they're suggesting. I, was, I also found interesting um, some of the measures that the the plan says they're not going to do. um. So what what are they ruling out? Yeah, they've ruled out a few things. So um, one of those, the the three that the Business Post mentions are that they've ruled out um, the idea of putting a full suspension of the European wholesale electricity market. They ruled out putting an absolute cap on the price of electricity and they ruled out the abolition of the EU's emissions trading system. Now, people might not know what that is, the ETS. Mm. It's actually quite interesting. It's around climate and it's around how much certain kind of... um, kind of basically like energy providers like oil and kind of things like that how much emissions that they can put out and it's sort of a cap and trade sort of system where okay. they can buy allowances So it's um, sort
1: of like carbon credits for countries where basically richer countries will buy the credits off poorer ones because they actually can't afford to it's, produce it's, the emissions it's, it's in the first that, place It's in it's that like kind of realm Yeah okay.
2: and, and, and that was floated it seems as kind of one potential measure of trying to get energy prices under control um, but that but it was uh, it was discarded along with those other measures because it was seen as not being appropriate as it would increase the risk to security of energy supply this winter and undermine long-term decarbonisation targets. Okay. those ETS the those ETS credits there was a kind of a big for war in the EU earlier this year over those not going far enough mm. so the idea that it was even maybe suggested that they could be gotten rid of entirely is mm. actually uh, something maybe bigger than it kind okay. of seems at first look One other one that
1: you just touched upon there was the idea that they wouldn't have an outright cap uh, for electricity prices and maybe I'm oversimplifying that maybe there's more nuance to it but it would seem like that was one of the two big things that they would have up their sleeve if you want to make bills cheaper or at least limit the amount that they conspire for most consumers you would either do this idea of decoupling gas prices from energy. Mm-hmm. We might get back to that a little bit later in the hour. Or you could just implement an absolute cap like Britain has done, albeit Britain has had to raise the cap quite a few times. They seem to be ruling out this price cap idea.
2: Yeah, that's one of that's one of the, the measures that the paper says it's ruled out. Um, it's interesting also to think about what the Taoiseach was talking about this week. So he was out this week talking about um how in the context of these EU plans, you know, what what those might look like from his perspective and he was saying you know there maybe there would be some kind of measure that would kind of be more directly linked to what we expect is going to happen over the next 12 months but then also that there needs to be a wider look at how our energy system works in the future as kind of a longer term measure and i think that's something that people have kind of talked about since uh, you know Russia's evasion invasion of ukraine that really we weren't you know we knew what the risks were in terms of our dependence on russia but everyone was sort of <laughs> silent into the corner nobody really wanted to think about it too hard because of just what a what a mammoth issue it was and um, but that actually you know and uh, that nows the time that it has to be done and um, but that idea that you know the EU has sort of two things to balance here. There has to be that immediate kind of look at, well, how do we get through this winter? But then also, really, we need to look at the flaws Long-term. in the system that let us get into this position mm. in the first place.
1: Uh, Breida Brown, there's there's an awful lot uh, about it across today's papers. There's little bits about the, the supports for businesses. There's mm-hmm. there's more, uh, as Lauren has hinted to, about the, exactly what the EU's plans are. Of course, there's a little bit of hint of, of what the, good, the government might be planning uh, up its sleeve for the budget in 23 days' time. Uh, anything that jumps out for you this morning? No,
0: not really. I mean, what's interesting is the EU is saying, yes, there will be reform at the bigger level, but they're also putting a lot of pressure on domestic governments and saying that they are going to have to put in measures themselves to to address the whole spiralling aspect. Interestingly the uh, Business Post is saying that the Irish government is scrambling to devise uh, some of these interventions. Well I mean isn't everyone. Isn't everyone but that's the way it's felt this past week. To be honest it feels like everything is just really piecemeal. Lots of things are being thrown out there. Some of them are scaremongering aspects. You know no boilers will be allowed to be put into new homes or you can't replace your boiler from 2025 just a huge amount of stuff been thrown at people and this is why people are nervous and scared and we'll talk about the Sunday Indo um, uh, stats from the research later on but that's why people are worried at the moment also worried because the bills are coming in the door and they are astronomical Mm. so I think the government really you know again uh, uh, Eamon Ryan I was just talking to Lauren about this earlier as well Eamon Ryan is is sort of saying in the papers today yeah we're going to have to look at this I'm going I think we need to be a little bit more serious than that in terms of we're going to have to look at it we need to hear preferably this week in terms of what our plans are going to be um we certainly during the budget need to hear how it's going to, you know, what's going to be done for households uh, and also for businesses. We saw the bills that are coming into businesses this week. They are unsustainable. Mm. Um, you know, there are a huge amount of businesses that are going to go out of business. They're going to have to reduce their hours. They're going to have to get rid of staff. Um, I, at this point, I don't know where we're going to be in January or February of mm. next year.
2: What stuck out to me from that Eamon Ryan interview as well was he kind of, he was looking back at the, the credits that we had this time last year. And he, he makes, that he says that, um Uh, I think we need to be quick and clear and uncomplicated with the electricity credit we were able to get every household it was low cost and nobody was left out that bill credit system worked he said now I think a lot of people would take issue with the idea that that credit system worked Mm. and that Mm -hmm. was the end of the story I think a lot of people were still left kind of um, you know pinching their pockets I guess last year yeah, and it's going to be even worse this year well obviously
1: there's the two issues with it which is first that it's not necessarily targeted it is universal and Mm. there's some merits to it being universal but that if you give somebody who has the 7% of people who have no qualms at all about their energy Mm -hmm. bills if you give them 200 quid off uh, then what's the merit in doing that when you have so many other people for whom it's only a drop in the ocean Um, but also it's it's one of those things where it helps you out of a bit of a tight spot it might take a bit of a dent off the bill that you get in November or December or January just around Christmas time and that of course would be very welcome to anyone because everyone wants any help they can get but it doesn't make energy any cheaper which is the problem that we have. All it does is help you to afford a high bill, but it doesn't do anything to bring the cost back down. So what can there be, Lauren, either in this package or, or what in, in what the EU might hear about this week, uh, what is there that could actually bring the price of energy back down to levels that people can afford on an ongoing basis?
2: I mean, that's the question, isn't it? I get mm. that's what the I EU was, was really doing.
1: hoping you were going to have a solution up <laughs> yeah. your sleeve there. Yeah, no,
2: I've, I've been sitting on this, I'm going to, to, yeah. to reveal yeah, and, it all.
0: And yeah. wholesale prices did come down this week um, mm. as a result of, of the news that the EU intervention was going to come, but they're still like 12 times higher than what they were previously. Mm. But to, to answer that question, maybe have a read of Vincent Boland's piece in the Business Post, which is, is the energy crunch a passing phenomenon or is it here to stay? And that's what Lauren is saying, we don't know um, what's going to happen. Um, and he's essentially saying, you know, our uh, soaring household energy bills temporary or are they permanent? If the energy crunch is a passing phenomenon that'll end, well then it'll be okay by the time we get to early next year. You know, we'll get through it. But if it's permanent, then the household bills are here to stay. And this is where the long-term planning needs to come in from our government at the moment, which is absolutely not what mm-hmm. we're seeing.
1: Uh, just as a little bit of a snapshot of where we are right this moment, um, if you pull up the smartgriddashboard.com, which is there for, for everyone to see, it's Airgrid's um, online dashboard as to how exactly our, our power is derived right now. Now, it's only a very short-term window and these figures change almost hour to hour. But if you pick it up this morning, uh, renewables account for a little over 20% of Ireland's fuel mix. Coal amounts for 12%. Gas still amounts for 61% uh, of all of the energy that we use in our homes, in, in that, it, that's how it's constructed into uh, electricity. And if you go to um, SEMO PX, and I'm aware that I'm bombarding people with, with website addresses this morning, but this is just to illustrate um, how much these prices are going up. Semopx is the online website where the online Irish energy companies, and I mean by I don't mean online, but I mean the uh, all island energy companies. So all, all the wholesalers, this is where they basically trade power with each other to make sure that they all have enough uh, energy to, to meet their, their customers needs. Um, if you go to it right now, you can see that they're all, at, at some points they're bidding 330 euro per megawatt hour for units of electricity to be used tomorrow earlier in the week those figures were up as high as 600 euro per megawatt hour and that was in on the 31st of august they were touching 600 euro by comparison in august of last year they were touching they averaged at around 131 euro and in august of 2020 they averaged 36 euro so they've gone from 36 euro per megawatt hour that's their standard unit of electricity up to close to 600 euro in the space of only two years and it's hard to imagine breela that that doesn't end up anywhere other than being passed on to consumers
0: has to be you know, and that's totally unsustainable. Um, And again, across the papers today, you'll see an awful lot of case studies of retailers, hospitality, uh, fish and chip shops, you know, and they all need Mm. electricity uh, to run on a daily basis. And the prices are going from, you know, you know tripling essentially over the course of a, of a short period of time but could, to go back to your renewable targets I mean again you're talking about 20% there yeah. on those figures you just and said that, That's just a is,
1: snapshot from today it is isn't renewable. necessarily a long term window and the target
0: is 80% of renewable by 2030 now 2030 is only 8 years away and I think you know we talk about climate targets all the time but I don't think any of it is grounded in reality on the basis that again we read all the time about the, the fact that the proce- the planning permission process for renewables takes so long there is no way we're going to achieve I don't think those 80% renewables by 2030 so it's you know, it's yeah. it's as I said, it's this myopic view that that we have the, when it comes to planning. We've seen it with health, we've seen it with housing. We really need to make sure we're focused here.
1: I'm going to spare some government advisors who might be listening in this morning the, the, the bother of texting in to, to point out about the maritime planning laws that they got yeah. passed in the last couple of months, which are due to make it mm-hmm. easier to have offshore wind. They, they will point out to how much of a mammoth uh, effort that was to get it onto the statute books. It's recognised that it's there. We'll see exactly how quick it is. Text from Alex to 53106 who says that the government should give electricity generators the option of paying either a windfall tax or reinvesting their windfall profit in new capacity in a tight time frame. Um, I don't know whether that's, you can actually sort of legally compel people to spend their profits in certain ways, um, Lauren, but it's it's a, it's an interesting approach, the idea that, well, if these companies are going to make huge money, if they're not going to be forced to pay it back as tax, that, they all, that maybe there's an argument for forcing them to reinvest it back into capacity generation, given we've heard so much in the last week or two about the shortfalls we have with generation and the risk of blackouts this winter to come.
2: Yeah, I suppose it comes back to the the issue again that capacity. It's it's hard to ramp up quickly. Mm. It does take time, um, and I know obviously it depends on you know if you're looking at particular suppliers, what kind of where their systems are set up. But if you're looking at like putting a new generator onto the grid or, the, or that sort of thing, those that does you know mm. that that's looking beyond this winter. That's not a, yeah. an immediate sort of a fix. Um, uh, you know, there's also been issues around, like last year, we had those issues with, you know, we were expecting certain kind of generators to be on the grid and then mm-hmm. they weren't. And that was where some of the issue was kind of falling around last year. Um you Know this year, we kind of, I suppose, n- know in some way the capacity we're dealing with. Um, but I mean, I mean, that idea of you know, can you compel a business to, to do X and Y? Um, mm. it's it, it reminds me a little bit now, it's, it's slightly different, but it reminds me, say, of the issue around data centers and you know, how they are they, they, they drain a lot of energy from the grid, and then there's all these kind of you know, um, about how, how far they're going to be compelled to. You know, generate their yeah, generate their, their own, own supply, yeah. um, and it, and if that that feels a little bit similar to that, you know, mm. kind of in the same waters of you know this sort of um, yeah give and take well, kind it, of between I, the I also businesses. do
1: wonder, we don't have time to get into it now, but I always do wonder whether it just seems like an overtly simplistic thing to say mm. we'll generate your own supply because then if it was possible to just build a giant building that just generated supply like that, everyone mm. else would be doing it. You can't expect these things to be self-sufficient either. So of if course. we're going and to have it, to generate their own supply, often it might even mean something is rudimentary maybe as diesel generators. Yeah, which and
2: that's it. It comes back to how, 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 how much are we going to keep relying on fossil fuels to do this kind of thing for us and yeah, there, there's, that's not... Uh, um, an infinite resource by any means. Yeah. And even in terms of yeah, the impact on climate, it's, it's not the road you want to be going down. Um
0: yeah. And it's interesting, Sorry again, again. another piece that was in one of the papers was saying an emergency requires an emergency response. And that sort of feels like what we're in at the moment. And we were, you know, as a government, I think we were really clear, swift and decisive around COVID. And I know it was very much, that was also very much a day-to-day and a week-to-week mm. scenario. So it feels like we're in that situation again. So if if they could, if the government could just be very clear in terms of what it's going to do, ensure it communicates that, obviously to everybody, so everybody understands where we are going forward. And again, try and, and figure it out. But COVID as well, remember, it didn't create the big massive hole in public finances. That was expected. And we saw that last week with the with the excise figures coming in from um from FDI. Um, so again, maybe we go just need to, you know, as mm-hmm. I said, an emergency requires an emergency response. Mm-hmm. Let's just and do I what think, needs to be done.
2: I think that's maybe why that those ideas of those one off credits maybe just they're not going to kind of you know make a big dent.
0: Exactly,
1: yeah. because
2: it is, as you say, it's it's we you know it's not a one and done issue. It mm-hmm. is something that's, you know, going to keep coming back through the the energy bills coming through people's doors months after months. Um, and that uh, this, you know, a one-off credit just isn't going to cut
1: it. A um, few people on Twitter, Harry, says that the quickest way to reform the market would be to decouple renewable prices from gas, which dictates what is charged for energy in the wholesale market, which obviously is something that the EU are looking at for, for possibly breaking this coming week. Um, Jason says it seems to him that the system around energy and companies bidding uh, and bidding against each other uh, for energy prices is maybe part of the problem, which maybe has as some credit. Somebody else says uh, remove sanctions, open Nord Stream 2. Um, well, if, if Nord Stream 2 is apparently not available because of some mechanical issues, then North Stream 2 may not be the panacea either, but it is a, a reasonable argument. Uh, and somebody else says, is it tone deaf from uh, the person that was revol- uh, responsible for a cervical check, Noreen Russell, or are they shouting in frustration? With respect to Patter Bean, says this person he hasn't been shy about misrepresenting the actual impact of the audit results. I'm sure to Bean uh, would quibble with that. We might talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. Before I do go to a break, um, I want to, to touch on the story, which is on pages six and seven of the Mail on Sunday. I don't know, Lauren, whether you saw this. This is about some of the energy, uh, the uh, testimony that was given to the Eroctus uh, Environment Committee inside the last week or two. And this concerns, you might remember this was when um, Airgrid and the CRU and a few, and Minister Ryan were all in front of uh, the Eroctus Committee. Um, there appears to be some evidence in the Mail on Sunday today that some of the information that Grid supplied to uh, the Eroctus Committee may not have been correct and that it may have given the impression that it had contracts signed for emergency backup power supplies. And it turns out now that's not the case.
2: Yeah, that that was an interesting Eroctus Committee hearing this week. And I think it's something that... You know, it's obviously not going away, but I think particularly around, you know, the sort of, yeah, the kind of uh, the clashing, I guess we saw this week with Airgrid and and with the CRU, it is something that's going to have to be uh, taken a look at again. Um, I mean... Yeah, it was just slightly
0: yeah. bizarre. Yeah. I think you know, um, essentially it was it was Airgrid up against the U and one. Mm. You know, you know,
1: yeah, we should uh, say, but it wasn't s- set up to be a debate between the two of them. But it that's wasn't. how it often became. Exactly,
0: yeah. um, and basically, you know, what the Mail on Sunday is saying here is that Airgrid has admitted no contracts for a backup supply of electricity have been signed, even though the boss of the operator told a dual committee it had secured written agreement. Mm. Um, and apparently well, written later written on,
1: agreements aren't contracts, but I suppose it's a distinction that maybe people didn't pick up at the time.
0: Uh, that's it. And he went on then to say they're thankful they've one contract signed and another to go and they're at advanced stage in negotiations with potential providers. But he also then failed to correct false and misleading information that had previously um, been given. So it's it's very much, a, a, you know, this is what we don't need, actually, at this mm-hmm. point is, you know, the two sort of um, regulators and people who are involved so much in the energy side having a little spat over who said what when. You know, again, mm. we all need to be on the same the same page here the same hymn sheet and be clear and decisive because again it's like watching Mammy and Daddy fighting Mm -hmm. you know and the kids are there quite worried and going oh my God what's going on here whereas if there's a united front we might be able to muddle through
1: this. Uh, Last night a spokesman for Airgrid admitted to, to the Mail on Sunday in this piece that eight new data centres alone will use almost all ...of the emergency backup supply of energy that the state is trying to buy. The air grid official also insisted that contracts for a backup supply have yet to be signed, contradicting the CEO's testimony. The spokesman for the state agency confirmed three data centres will be connected in 2022, one in 2023 three in 2024 and another one in 2026 they have connection agreements that predate direction issued by the CRU last November which means that they are not bound by more recent uh, rules concerning how these are supposed to conduct their, their energy affairs the cumulative total from the national grid that these will require is 6 point, 656.4 uh, megawatts uh, and for example the tenders for some backups Remains to hundred and fifty megawatts, another one four hundred and fifty megawatts. If all of these efforts are trying to to go be gone through to get backup power, and it turns out that that backup power is the equivalent of these eight data centers, which are all on the way, seemingly mm-hmm. whether the CRU can ever stop them or now stop them or not, is uh, is pretty remarkable. Um, it is half past eleven this Sunday morning. Gavin Riley with you on the record until one o'clock. A on news talk five three one zero six for your text. Still joined in studio uh, by Brida Brown and by Lauren Boland. Um, the front page story on the Sunday Times. Um, is, is really, really quite significant. And it is, worth that, for people who didn't hear the recap a few minutes ago, these are uh, quotes attributed to Noreen Russell, who's the clinical director at the National Cervical Screening Programme. Uh, she made these comments during a video call with Pater Tabin, the a two leader in Meath uh, West TD, in December 2020. And she appeared to suggest that some people who were uh, pursuing claims through the Survival Check Tribunal knew in their heart and soul that they hadn't been wronged but that they were using the process because they might get some money. And the reason why I highlight, Breida, that that it's December 2020 is that we know that there have been some instances in the past where maybe the attitude shown by those responsible for this programme hasn't been the most generous or welcoming to those who are the victims of -hmm. of some apparent negligence in the course of that programme. But these are comments made in tw- December 2020. This is after the, the, the Iraqis had legislated for a tribunal. This is long after the Gabriel Scali report and everyone had a- acknowledged that lessons needed to be learned and everything. Mm-hmm. And to have somebody responsible for the programme saying, as recently as December 2020, that some women were effectively chancing their arms looking for a free money from the state is, is not going to go down well with an awful lot of people.
0: It's shocking. I actually read it and I was going, am I actually reading this? Did she actually say this? And she did. And she is now offering an apology, but uh, an apology is just not going to cut it. But just to to go back to a couple of the comments that she made here, um, she said at one point in this conversation with Paddy Tobin and Noreen Russell, she did not believe there was a problem with the labs or their work. Now, as far as I know, was it not negligence in relation to labs that caused this situation in the first place? Um, And she also said then as well that uh, she accepted fully the victims' rights to seek redress through the tribunal. Um, but she said when she was asked by a member of Tobin's staff what the scandal was all about she replied I've asked myself the same thing so many times what is it all about now as you said we've talked about the words tone deaf here quite a lot this morning and that's absolutely it there has to be questions raised in relation to this Um, there was negligence Um, she's claiming that people are being opportunistic in relation to this which is absolutely not the case I'm sure if she picked up the phone to Vicky Phelan today and had a conversation with her I can only imagine what way that conversation would go Um, she's also saying that um, apparently justifying it by saying she was only a few months in the role that is not a justification and she was also not aware that the video call was being recorded now in this day and age you assume everything Mm. is being recorded but anyway you wouldn't say something like that anyway in a private anything you wouldn't say in a private context you absolutely should not be saying in a public context Saying
1: it in a video call to a TD I don't think I mean obviously it it is not necessarily best practice if somebody is being recorded in fact there is even legal question marks as to whether it is permissible to record somebody if they don't know that they're being recorded that's why when Mm. you're on the phone to a call centre they tell you that something is being recorded for quality and training they need you to know that but nonetheless for her to say it seemingly on the record um, to a TD is quite significant uh, by I the way I, I just have to, to correct one issue because I've just pulled up some of the coverage about the um, the Scali report at the time and just about the, the conduct of the laboratories um, Gabriel Scali said in the course of that report that he was satisfied with quality management processes in the labs he did raise some concern about the fact that some of the laboratories which the HSE thought it was using were not actually the ones being used that it thought that certain laboratories were being used but actually the process was being subcontracted out to other laboratories and that mm-hmm. maybe raised some question marks about whether there was adequate quality assurance he said that needed further and detailed examination but he said that there was no uh, particular issue with the uh, the existing contracts and there was no reason why they couldn't be continued until a new HPV regime was introduced so just to clarify that it wasn't necessarily that there was negligence on those parts. Um, Lauren, there is a a, a bigger um, kind of aspect to this and maybe just to remind people about the, the nature of um, cancer screening services, it, it is not always the case that um, somebody who subsequently becomes ill, uh, it's not always the case that they had a, a previous slide that was inaccurately read or negligently read it might just be the case that somebody was genuinely given the all clear and that they only subsequently and independently became unwell and you have to always allow for that but again i just find it very difficult that somebody who would have taken over as the clinical director of this sort of program after all the water that had gone under the bridge even if she was only a couple of months in the idea that there would be this skepticism or this accusation that some people were just in it for a quick book or that they were trying to be almost maliciously uh, trying to shake the state by the ankles and see what money could fall out of the pockets... I, I just find it very difficult to reconcile at it all.
2: It's very jarring, and I think on that, one of the lines that kind of stuck out to me from the recording was that uh, a comment that the only people winning are the lawyers. There are some lawyers making huge amounts of money out of these court cases. Again, that sense of scepticism, and it, it, it feels it's a very strange issue to try and boil down to this kind of you know winning and losing because ultimately the women taking these cases they have nothing to win in the sense of you know they're 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 in this situation because they have cancer. It, mm. There's no sense of winning coming out of a court case like that even if on paper you've mm. been the successful party it's it's still not a win um you know, th- these women are kind of they're they're battling because they have cancer and they're they're trying to get maybe some sense of justice, some kind of financial security for their family. Um, but to boil it down like that to you know the the only people winning here are the lawyers. And you al- know. also
0: to bring the issue into the public domain. Otherwise, if people don't take cases, male or female, in in whatever scenario we're talking about, otherwise, then it'll lie under the carpet and nobody knows that this is actually mm. going on. You know, and that it harps back again to the whole uh, focus that is on women's health on a regular basis and the fact that it doesn't get enough, uh, you know, enough investment and enough focus from from everybody and from Mm. government.
1: Um, There was a text actually to that effect of the point I just made before throwing to Lauren there. Was the cervical cancer screening scandal in in, inverted commas in their text really a scandal? Screening programmes inevitably miss cases. They're not diagnostic. Some cancers are unavoidable but nobody seems to accept that or they they don't dare to say it for fear of the emotional backlash. And look, we we recognise it but I think that just the idea that portraying that some people are trying to pull a fast one or maliciously going to to pursue a process uh, when they know that they don't qualify in their heart of hearts. Um, Russell said that she didn't believe that there was a problem with the laboratories or their work. She was asked by Pader Sabine how she could therefore support the tribunal which was set up, we should remind people, that there would supposedly be a non-adversarial way of pursuing these claims rather than sparing people the idea of having to go to court as Vicky Phelan did. Russell said, I don't know the answer to that. She added that the tribunal was important because women who had stage 1 cancer probably know in their heart and soul that they haven't been wronged. You might kind of know it's probably not worth my while going down to the High Court, she said. I don't think my story is going to get me a whole pile of money but I might get some money from the tribunal and I think that's why a lot of women went. Uh, And Aoife Moore's piece reminds us that the tribunal was set up as an alternative to the High Court for women affected by the incorrect reporting of their smear tests. However, it has been labelled a failure by campaigners and it is worth adding as well that it has been mired by relatively few people pursuing cases with the tribunal because they don't believe actually that it offers um, the same alternative program that they might get that a, a worthwhile alternative we might say uh, to pursuing all of that through the courts um, do you keep your texts coming uh, on all of that 53106 it'd be fascinating to think what you think about somebody in that office now admittedly uh, saying that th- their comments were um, insensitive or that they've recognised that they were careless and hurtful to women but but what you think about somebody being in that job in the first place we have A lot of texts uh, coming in about uh, energy. Uh, Can we correct the media message on the statistics on our UK gas source? We don't. It comes from Norway via Scotland, says one texter, which is a reasonable point. Yes, we do receive a lot of our gas from the UK, but I suppose it it comes via the UK, but ultimately it comes from Norway, which is a a worthwhile clarification. Um, Anne says, 15 years ago, my husband worked on smart meters. Ours got installed last month but actually isn't up and running. That's the pace of our government, as uh, she says. Uh, why not at 5.40pm ask people to check around the house and switch off unwanted devices? We could see the effect of that instantly, uh, says David and Calvin. I think the government would, uh, I don't mean to dismiss the, the merit of that, but I think the government would rather we do it uh, all day round, not just at 5.40, and particularly it'd be good for everyone's bills maybe if people just did it uh, at 5.40. And, um, Question from Colin on energy. Can somebody please explain why energy companies simply don't absorb the bulk of the energy price increase in the same way that banks have recently absorbed some interest rate increases, uh, says Colin. I suspect the answer to that, Colin, is that if they are part of a global uh, empire, the likes of Bordgosh Energy, which is owned by a British publicly traded company, they probably feel like they, um, it may sometimes be seen as misleading and and I'll admit that I fell into this trap as well this week in reporting that their parent company made 860 million pounds in the first six months of the year. Gosh's profits for the first six months of the year were something in the region of 40 million euro. Now that's not to say that they couldn't use some of that 40 million euro to absorb higher increases but if you think of uh, 40 million euro divided across half a million customers it doesn't actually go uh, all that high and um, laren dublin says folks how do you decouple wind prices uh, wind energy prices from gas it's demand versus supply that defines a price demand is high wind only gives 20 percent average and on some days wind provides as little as two percent of the energy mix uh, and final one now from kieran who says the fact that there's a green party in government and there hasn't been comprehensive proposals with regard to renewable energy production and usage for the state into the future is simply bizarre uh, am i right and thinking Lauren, that there is actually a report on that front which was commissioned but hasn't yet seen the light of day
2: is that the offshore wind report Possibly, you're talking about yeah. yeah there's a report coming up on offshore wind development um i think that's due to go a draft to public consultation before the end of this year Um, that's following the increased target for offshore wind that the government announced at the same time as the sectoral emissions breakdown so uh, the old target for offshore wind capacity was 5,000 megawatts Uh, by 2030 they've increased that to 7,000 along with kind of other greases and things like solar power um, that were announced at the same time as the the sectoral breakdown of emissions targets The Mail
0: I was just going (laughs) to say as well the Mail also has a piece saying that um, when Eamon Ryan in. To office, he was asked by his um, colleagues in in the department to publish a long-awaited review of Ireland's to renew to review, sorry, Ireland's secu- energy security strategy. Mm. Now, this is what two years ago. Yeah, um, that so might be it, one yeah, it's a yeah. review of security of supply, and the civil servant said it, it was timely to review it. Um, but he, ha- they've done it, but it apparently still hasn't been published. Um, and uh, apparently the findings have yet to be published. And he's saying at the moment he's just finding the delay on the grounds that the analysis had to be updated as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine
1: which, which is, is reasonable to be fair because there's not much point in publishing a report that the, might have been commissioned but the report two years did, ago but
0: it was two years ago so he should have published it well prior well, to Ukraine yeah, to be fair no, and could
1: update it now you uh, know Paul in Dublin says that the Irish and the Europeans didn't ask to sanction Russia or to take in Ukrainians this was all put on people by the governments and media and just look what all your propaganda has caused now and by the way our gas doesn't come from Russia so why are we paying such high rates Our gas may not come from Russia, but most of Europe's gas comes from Russia. And if there is simply less gas circulating in the world, then supply and demand, the cost of that gas is going to increase. So even if uh, we had full energy independence, even if we were able to to work off the CARB gas field for all of our gas needs, and there was no question marks about Ireland being affected from anywhere else, the people who own and operate the CARB gas field would be entitled to charge more for their gas because there's simply more of a premium for the gas elsewhere in the world. Uh, Final text for now on survival check. The cervical check controversy, says this person, is a perfect example where doing nothing is better than doing something. It was a check to try and find cervical cancer. It did in many, many cases and it saved many, many lives. But because it didn't have an impossible level of 100% success, it ends up as a scandal and some solicitors and barristers see an opportunity to profit. I think there is, there's one mistake with that thinking, which is that no one ever expected it to have 100% success. But as it's been established in at least 221 cases, people had a, a legitimate expectation that Clearly, apparently legible uh, in inac- or issues with their smears, some kind of abnormalities ought to have picked up at the time. No one's mm. saying that they have to be perfect, but in two hundred twenty-one cases, it has apparently no. been established. And can I just that say, the, the slides were misread.
0: It probably saved mine. On the basis that I had, you know, quite a significant. Abnormal uh, one was picked up um, in the space of only a year, and if that hadn't been picked up, well, who knows? But luckily, everything was fine afterwards. But like, that's why I probably feel so mm-hmm. strongly about it, you mm-hmm. know. I'm so, I'm and that's why that screening is so case. important. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and yeah. And it is
1: worth, and we often, in, in the midst of all of this, it is worth reminding people as well that screening has saved a countless number of lives mm-hmm. and it is absolutely worth uh, underlining the validity of the science, even if sometimes it can be subject to to a human filter. Um, We're very late to be talking about the budget. I'm actually close to needing to go mm-hmm. to an ad break, but there's, there's so much support uh, talk in the papers today about. Um, the budget and how it's all going to be done um, the Sun Independent breeder talks about the budget focusing on a raft of one-off supports which again sort of goes back to our earlier conversation that any support is welcome but you could any use, you could use more structural changes uh, yeah
0: really. and I think look one-off supports and people want cash in their pocket at the moment because it's cash that's flowing out of their pocket so they're talking about um, maybe potentially doubling that money we got 200 euro last year to, to help with our with our energy bills maybe doubling that and all these short-term things are fine but we need I keep going on about this we need to be looking at this long term plan. Um, So we'll double the electricity credits that we got last year Um, similar payments for businesses as well because remember this is significantly going to hit businesses as we saw with with, um, the amount of of business owners talking about it during the week about their their prices going up. Um, A fuel allowance lump sum payment uh, which could reach €250 or more and suspension of a range of government charges as we've already seen with school buses. So again I think we just need to sit, they need to sit down they just need to be really clear on what they're doing, have a range of one-off measures and you know Pascal Donoghue who's going to be very clear in saying they are one-off measures because these mm. are not something that we can repeat something similar to what we did with Covid but also we need that long-term planning as well
1: uh, Lauren, anything that jumps out with you about the the acres of budget speculation that we're going to be seeing for now in the next three Sundays
2: um, I think it's interesting the, the polling in the Sunday Independent on um you know what what people identify as as the the most issues that there are the two biggest issues that they think the government needs to look at. Um, these these are the really interesting figures that you know he can kind of compare month by month and see what are the issues that people care the most about. Um, cost of living increased by ten percentage points since the last poll. I mean, you know, sixty three would have already been very high, but now that seventy three percent of people yeah. are there at the front saying, "Look, this is this is absolutely key." And I think I think the thing with energy as well is that we have to remember that it's this is coming on top of all the other burdens kind of people are already facing in, in areas like housing or healthcare or education. Um, we had a yeah. piece in the journal yesterday by our political correspondent, Christina Finn, where she found that, uh, she reported some applicants for emergency social welfare payments are waiting up to eight weeks for that payment wow. to come through. for
1: emergency payments.
2: Yes, now, now that's not in all cases, you know, just mm. in, in some, but um, just the, the fact that you could be, you know, looking at this emergency situation and waiting nearly two months for that payment to come through and then that's that's the backdrop to mm. all of these discussions around energy yeah. and and, how, and the, the, the pressure that's putting on people it's on top of all these mm. other yeah. issues that are already, that
1: are already there uh, Briefly if you can uh, Yeah
0: these figures are quite grim reading for the political parties as well to be honest Do you know everyone um, except
1: Sinn Féin obviously Well
0: you know. yeah I mean RTD is out of touch with the concerns of ordinary people 78 people are saying yes um, and Sinn Féin are still you know people are still saying 42% saying that they would the preferred government will be a Sinn Féin led Mm. government including Labour the Soc Dems and the Greens Um, and uh, Michael Martin is at 41% Mary Lou Macdonald is at 42% Um, but yeah there's just I'm sorry the other one was also when would you like to see a general election and nearly 50% are saying either now or within the next six months and again Mm. that figure feels quite high to Mm. me so there's a lot of disgruntlement going on.
1: Well, the budget is only three weeks away unless we remind people that it is a minority government right now. So uh, we'll just see exactly how all of that comes out. Mm. I do need to get to a break but just one thing which is worth saying just to put the cap on the the discussion about cervical check. uh, These remarks were attributed to Noreen Russell in a conversation in December 2020. It is worth uh, remembering that the establishment of the cervical check tribunal only happened effective uh, December 2020 and as of March this year there had only been 19 claims lodged. There was basically no culture of anybody lodging any claims to the tribunal at the time which maybe then those does casting you light over some of the suggestion that some people were doing so simply to make a quick book when basically nobody was doing it at all uh, at the time of those remarks. Still joined the studio by Brida Brown of Unique Media and Lauren Boland, reporter with the Journal.ie. Um, there is a reasonable amount uh, in today's papers, Lauren, about um, a story which we probably need to really get to grips with because it's all going to come to a head in the next couple of days, which is the likely appointment of Liz Truss as the new British Prime Minister. We're expecting the announcements in who won the Tory leadership race tomorrow. The winner will be appointed as the new Prime Minister on Tuesday heading up to Balmoral, they'll be the 15th Prime Minister mm. of Queen Elizabeth's tenure, which is a sign of some longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a, a good amount written in today's papers, including I see you've got a spread in the Business Post about what the new Prime Minister might mean for this country and hers.
2: Yes, uh, interesting piece uh, on page 16 of the Business Post by Michael Brennan. Um, uh, I, I always think with the, when we talk about uh, this election, I'm, I'm always reminded of those those first kind of day or two um, when when, every, when everyone you know was resigning in Boris Johnson's cabinet or his party, and there was this big sense, I think, in Irish politics of everyone coming out with these statements of, "Oh, we really hope that you know the his successor is kind of a, a new wave," you know, kind of building back some of those bridges that were all but burned under Boris Johnson. And um, I think when when we actually got then into the reality of the race, you know, you can see that uh, the hopes for that being, I guess, probably somewhat dashed. And um, there's an interesting point in this piece. Um, where uh, it quotes a, a government source who says that, um, you know, the Irish government is going to be looking to, to have a, a very early engagement with, mm. uh, you know, presumably to us as Prime Minister, and... Um, uh, the source quoted as saying, "Dublin will be seeking early engagement. We are looking at an awful winter in both Ireland and Britain. We will not be starting the call on Brexit." Um, but then the piece makes the point that we won't be starting the call on Brexit. We won't be starting the call on Brexit. Be okay. call but on will Brexit. we start it on? The elephant in the Energy. room, like Yeah, yes, <laughs> right. yeah, but well, not Brexit. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the the article also makes the point then that you know there's a sense that. Um, Uh, I'll read this out as well because it's it's a good line Um, but sources in her camp have been signalling that she could rapidly trigger Article 16 of the protocol once she takes over this gives the British government the power to take appropriate safeguard measures if the protocol is causing serious uh, economic societal environmental difficulties that you know the the kind of the Mm. the point of the Article Mm. 16 as we note but uh, that sense that you know uh, let's not forget Liz Truss is obviously the one bringing that you know the kind of the legislation uh, around that uh, through the House of Commons um, and is now it, it seems going to be the one who's who's leading up the government mm. um, but that that wouldn't be kind of on the the, t- mm. the top of the agenda I guess in, in it, a phone call It's a
1: curious situation where as it stands right now the, the British government continually unilaterally extending the grace periods for some of those trading checks in the protocol is strictly speaking acting outside of the law mm-hmm. and yet if Liz Truss were to invoke Article 16 she would be acting within the law she'd be using the negotiated mm. exit procedures to accept that we'd be more aggrieved by her following the letter of the law than what the Brit- what Britain is currently doing which is flouting it
0: and apparently um, they haven't had any substantive discussions on Brexit the UK and Ireland mm. since February, which is like seven months. Yeah, but there's, Thomas Byrne certainly
1: told me a couple of weeks ago that they basically stalled in advance yeah. of Stormont's election, and that they never really got going. After
0: yeah, that. and there's an interesting quote um, from a source, obviously in the in a piece in the Sunday Times. Uh, These are our choices now: trigger Article 16, then what? Triggering art, Article 16. There's a mad woman running around into the street with a gun. That won't that won't get Stormont up and running. It won't fix anything. So you know, it's interesting. And look, we know that her relationship with Simon Coveney is quite mm. frosty as it already is, and as Lauren said, they want to engage quite early with Ireland um, but apparently to engage quite early because they want to deal with Micheál Martin because they see Leo Varadkar obviously will have the coalition um, yeah. changing leadership uh, now in the in the next one they see Leo Varadkar quoted here in the Sunday Times as well as a tougher nut to crack and he returns as Taoiseach in December now I, that, that seems a bit well, you know, simplistic I, I, I just find
1: it curious that, that if Ireland is all about you know having proper diplomatic negotiations mm. that if we're describing the likely new British Prime Minister as the as something parallel to a mad woman going out in the street mm-hmm. with a gun. I don't know that we're really softening the ground no, for a kind of a you know, mature exchange of views
0: and to repair the relations that we have which yeah. is not, not the case you know now interestingly as well I mean she has been a lot of people have focused on her saying she's not great at public speaking um, you know she nearly comes across as not as chaotic as Johnson but a little bit bumbling she's definitely I think a chameleon you know she changes her views and her mind all the time and literally tells people what they actually want to hear but actually somebody in the Irish government was quoted again another source in this piece in the Sunday Times um, who said she shouldn't be underestimated and she's sharp and energetic fills a room and she's smart whether you agree with her politics or not
1: We will see exactly how things roll out when she uh, is presumably anointed as a new Conservative leader tomorrow mm-hmm. And Speaking of Leo Varadkar who is due to take her mm. back over the seat of Taoiseach uh, in a little over three months time um, you've picked out a piece in the mail on Sunday Brida about uh, which seat Leo Varadkar might be Apparently occupying in the next hall. The because there's some the speculation the that he might be on the move
0: So he moved house Uh, earlier this year not too far from the News Talk studios actually he is in Portobello and now there's talk that he may switch from his current long term base of Dublin West and potentially into Dublin Bay South.
1: Portobello's a curious one because Mm. for people who don't know the geography of Dublin it basically straddles the border of two different constituencies so he could end up in Bay South which of course famously Finnegale don't have a seat Mm -hmm. in since the departure of Owen Murphy in the subsequent by-election or Dublin South Central which Mm -hmm. is another area that uh, Fine don't have a seat in so you could argue that maybe there's right for the pickings but and at the same that, time he'd be giving up a seat Fine already has and in this Dublin is West. it.
0: and like Dublin Bay South is like that's a tough constituency you've got four there at the moment you've, we've got what two party leaders we've Eamon Ryan Ivana Badgeek we've Chris Andrews then from Sinn Féin and, and Jim O'Callaghan and a
1: um, from Fianna Fáil
0: <laughs> you know and look we've seen the ructions here before with Kate O'Connell obviously Owen um, Owen Murphy then resigned Lucinda Creighton had a, had a seat here it's a tough constituency it does straddle quite a lot of four Dublin four Dublin six and mm. also some parts of, of Dublin eight so um, so interesting. So I, I don't know. There was also talk as well then that who would he bring in on his as his running mate on the ticket. Yeah, because don't forget
1: that if the election is called after... This is another reason, by the way, to keep an eye on the government for the next couple of weeks because if the government makes it as far as February of next year... Then the requirement for gender quotas goes up from thirty percent to forty. So everyone is working on the basis that you basically need to be hitting 50-50 mm-hmm. already, which isn't the case if mm-hmm. there's a snap election in the next four or five months. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, Fine are planning on the basis that well, it on, has to have one female candidate for every man.
0: Uh, well that's it. And currently um you know, Dublin Bay out's by election runner up, that was James Gagan the last time around and he was probably going to be running the next time round. Mm. But if Leo obviously runs um this time round, well then they won't potentially run James Gagan because they don't want two men on the ticket. They'll have to have one male and one female potentially. So the of Emma Blaine is now been brought into the into the mix. Um, she used to work for the. She was a journalist with the Sunday Independent, and she's also a sitting councillor. Um, so her name is potentially been thrown around as a possible running candidate. So yes, I think things are <laughs> going to heat up, and it's got, in the energy sense. We're talking about a lot of energy <laughs> and heat today. Yeah. Uh, but
1: yeah, it could be interesting. There's a lot of runners and riders in that piece in the van vale on Sunday. If you want to pick up John Drennan's uh, mm. breakdown of who could be going where, uh, that is all the time we have. Uh, thank you both very much for coming in this morning, uh, thanks for you know choosing to come here rather than Stradbally because it seems <laughs> that the, wor- the world is <laughs> a bit warmer. Yeah. Uh, well I saw the world and his mother in Strap Valley yesterday thank you both for coming in this morning Brida Brown of Unique Media and Lauren Bolden reporter with the thejournal.ie On the Record with Gavin Riley Sunday morning at 11
0: Brought to you by PwC Great minds think unalike Different skill sets diverse opinions It all adds up to the new equation On News Talk.